0: Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25, why don't you open your Bibles in there, and as you do that, I'm going to open our time here with a word of prayer. First Samuel chapter 25, as we dive into this beautiful text of Scripture this morning. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts. Once again, I pray that you would remove me from this situation, that I would not be a distraction to the people here, but that I would be uh, used by you, that my words would be set aside and the words of your word will be laid as a foundation inside of our hearts. And I pray, Father, that as we looked into this amazing story from 1 Samuel 25, I pray that you would help us to listen to the voice of wisdom. And so, Father, uh, thank you for not only saving us and offering your Son, but for allowing us to have the Holy Spirit inside of us so we can not only be transformed into the image of Jesus, but also that we might be able to make decisions that would honor and glorify you. Oh, Father, would you do that this morning and continue to do that through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pastor David talked about an opportunity of a lifetime last week. And since my 21st birthday, when I became a believer, I realized one thing very quickly as I read the scriptures, and the reality, the the, the statement, the importance was that I believe God provides every second for us as an opportunity to either glorify Him or to rebel against Him. So even though some opportunities seem to be like a lifetime opportunity, I would argue that every opportunity is a lifetime opportunity because every opportunity will determine the next decision and direction that you make in life. And David finds himself in a very difficult situation today. Now, 1 Samuel 25, let's jump right into the text. Verse one, Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned him. They bury him at his home in Ramah, Then David left and went down to the wilderness of Paran. The only thing I want to make here, the only comment I want to make here really quickly as we go to uh, verse 2 all the way down to verse 3 is that there's a transition period now. Samuel is not in the picture anymore. Now the main characters are going to be Saul and David, and God's going to continue to focus on perhaps David as the transition moves one day from Saul being the king and David coming in as the king that God has requested. Verse 2, there was a man in Moan, whose business was in Carmel. So it was just down the road here from us right now. No, I had to do that. I I kept doing that at home and I told myself I wasn't gonna do it, but it's not the same Carmel. It's very different. This one is a lot nicer than the one back here. This man was a very wealthy, and so here's the description. He was a very wealthy man. He owned 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. At that time, he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was both wise and beautiful, but the man was harsh in his deeds, and his deeds were evil. He was a Calebite. Now, there's some things here about Nabal that I want us to see as, as, as we try to understand what's going to happen in the next 41 verses of this passage, okay? Number one, he was a wealthy man. The Hebrew word here for wealthy is, is, is a Hebrew word that describes heavy, heaviness which means literally he was loaded with money. He was very well off. The fact that Nabal was actually shearing the sheep in Carmel is an indication that a wealthy man was about to become even wealthier because that's the time when he would make the money twice a year, spring and fall. His name was Nabal, which means, and this is, For those of you who are expecting now, you probably don't want to name your child Nabal, but Nabal means, in Hebrew, means fool, okay? I don't know what kind of relationship he had with his parents or how the tension was between husband and wife in that situation, but they decided to call this guy fool. In Psalm 14, verse one, it says the fool, literally the Nabal says in his heart, there is no God Now, I can't imagine calling my child Nabal, but that's what, once again, that's their choice. Number two, look at his conduct here in verse 2 and 3. It says it was evil in his dealings, and his character was the character of a harsh man. And the third thing that's ironic for me, and this is very ironic, is that he's called a Calebite. Now, if you remember the two spies that came back from spying the land and says, hey, let's do it, it was Joshua and Caleb. Nabal is actually from Caleb's lineage. Now, Caleb was a Jewish hero. He was one of the spies that actually came back with the good news that, yes, they are big, but you know what? <laughs> Bigger is our God. Caleb was a faithful servant of God, but Nabal, on the other hand, he's, he's, he's a Calebite just by name, and he's actually an unfaithful servant of God, and by character and conduct, he resembles nothing of what Caleb looked like or acted like back in the day. Now, this is, I think, an application for you and I, because if we compare this the two individuals here, we can easily realize that character cannot be borrowed from somebody else. It has to be developed. I bet Nabal would love to have Caleb's character, but it wasn't developed, and it could not be borrowed. The second character that is introduced here in the story is a lady named Abigail. Now, there's two things here that the Bible says about her. She was beautiful and she was wise, which means that her appearance was, was gorgeous and he, she was a woman of good understanding. Now, there are only two, there are two women in the Bible that have the same description as Abigail here. First one is Rachel in Genesis 29. Rachel is described as beautiful and wise. And King, uh, Queen Esther is described the same way. Now, Abigail's story is the largest description of a woman in the Bible in the sense of being beautiful and wise with her actions here. So there's a lot of things that we can learn and glean from her. But let's go into the next phase here, David's request to Nabal. So the story is developing, the, the two characters are introduced, and now the third character is going to be introduced by, once again, by, this, by the writer in verse 4 through 9. It says this, When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing the sheep, he sent ten of his servants, saying to them, Go up to Carmel to see Nabal, and give him greetings in my name. Then you will say to my brother, and here's here's how David calls Nabal, it's brother, which is a very close relationship. He says, Peace to you and your house, peace to all that is yours, Now I hear that you are shearing the sheep for you. Now I hear that they are uh, shearing the sheep for you. When your shepherds were with us, we neither insulted them nor nor harmed them the whole time we were with them in Carmel. Ask your servants; they will call and tell you. May my servants find favor in your sight, for we have come at the time of a holiday. Please provide us, your servants and your son David with whatever you can spare so david's servants went and spoke all these words to nabal in david's name then they paused now up to this point in the story david and his and his men were actually working in the fields for nabal not directly for nabal but they were fleeing away from saul and they were trying to hide and they decided to help nabal's servant to actually take care of the sheep okay now swindle says this, According to the customs of the day, at the, time of the, uh, the, at the time the sheep were sheared, it was common for the owner of the animals to set aside a portion of the profit he made and give it to those who had protected his, shep- his shepherds and the sheep while they were out, out in the fields. It was kind of like tipping a waiter. There was no written law saying you had to do it, but it was a way of showing gratitude for a job well done. In fact, the text says that the job was so well done that David tells his servants to remind Nabal and his servants that when David was there and his servants were there, not only none of the animals were lost, but none of the workers were lost. And I think if I was being a helper in the fields, I would say that that is definitely a, a well done job. So David is trying to input some wisdom into Nabal, saying, hey, listen, we need some help here, and, and we're with you. We didn't take anything away from you. We actually protected your people, and we helped you, and we helped your animals. And now, please, would you, out of the abundance of your possessions, provide us whatever you can spare? In verse 8, when David's men approached Nabal here, they said this, please... Provide us with with whatever you can spare. This is a humble request One that a servant would ask the master for a well-done job and David is doing that and asking his servants to do the same so David Here's what he does without taking advantage of the situation without taking advantage of Nabal, without taking away from the servants that were on the fields working, in the fields working, David waits for the perfect time where Nabal would make enough money by shearing the sheep because now it's a time of need for him. One is wealthy enough to provide everything David needs and the other one waits for the moment where he needs the most. It was a humble request, but it was also an open request. It was humble because the man approached Nabal in a posture of humility, and you need to remember this right now. A posture of humility. But it was an open request because he doesn't say, give me 20 animals. He doesn't ask him for, he doesn't give him a grocery list. Here are the things that I need. He says, just do it what you can. And in David's mind, he's probably thinking, this guy is wealthy, he's going to make more money now, he has enough and plenty, he's going to be able to share with us with no problem. But that is not necessarily what happens. Verse 10 through 13. But Nabal responded to David's servant. You want to insult somebody? You respond just this way. Okay? This is insulting 101 here. You want to insult somebody, you answer them exactly how Nabal is about to do And he says this, but Nabal responded to David's servants, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? This is a time when many servants are breaking away from their masters. Verse 11, should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give them to these men? I don't even know where they come from. So David's servants went on their way. When they had returned, they came and told David all these things. Then David instructed his men each of you, listen, each of you, strap on your sword. So each one strapped on his swords, and David also strapped on his sword. About 400 men followed David, while 200 stayed behind with the equipment. Now, Nabal's response here was extremely offensive. I remember as a little kid, you wanted to insult somebody, you only needed to talk about their parents. Yeah, my dad can beat your dad up. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, you're separating kids from each other because the fight's about to break, break, break open here. Nabal... Rejects the first thing he does here, which is insulting, is re, he rejects the, the significance of David's name as the son of Jesse. By doing so, he, he's actually implying that David and his troops were just a bunch of um, dishonest and disobedient servants because he says, they, they, You've run away from your masters. This is a time where all the, all the slaves are running away from their masters. How do I not know that you are one of those? Did you think Nabal knew about Goliath and David? Don't you think Nabal actually heard Saul chasing David, the one who's going to be the future king? He's not doing this out of ignorance. He's doing this out of an evil intention because the text says in the beginning that his doings, his dealings were evil. He not only rejects the significance of his name, but he provides or he proves that life was about him, was all about him. Now, look in verse 11 here. There's seven times that the first person pronoun shows up. And I'm gonna hear, I'm gonna listen to, I'm gonna read this to you again. Look at verse 11. Should I take my bread away from, and my water, and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears? It's all about him. It's all about me, 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 me. Sounds like a house full of kids. And Abba is not acting any different, isn't he? So often we, we live our lives this way. And I'm afraid that even inside of the church with the generosity of God giving us his only begotten son that we act like everything belongs to us. Now let me tell you, biblical generosity does not have space for me, only God. And biblical generosity understands that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, as Job said. In verse 13, we see how David reacts to his response. And honestly, as you look at two men, you realize that's exactly what you expected from a guy who's tired, hungry, frustrated. He reacts in a very ungodly way. It's an opportunity of a lifetime for him, and he blows it. His reaction was to return home, to get all his men ready for war, and to set aside two-thirds of it, and to march with them. Now, if you had four men coming to your house with their swords and guns on, you'd probably think that they're not coming for a cup of coffee. David is done with that. He said, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to do this military strategy just to kill not only Nabal, but all his servants. And it is interesting as we look through this, because Saul had a strategy to use 3,000 men to go after David and all those guys who were probably not even soldiers. And he's wasting the resources of the nation of Israel, and now David, It's very wasteful with the the resources that he has because he's going with 400 men to take down one guy and and a bunch of guys who serve for him. And I think there's a practical insight in this. And here's the insight. David's David's anger is causing him to think unwisely and act selfishly. And I think so often that is exactly what happened to you and I. That we're unwilling to show kindness. Remember how David showed Saul kindness by not killing him? David knew how to show mercy and grace. But he chooses now to act on his own accord. Which in essence is contrary to what God would ask a king to do. It is in this moment that God does the amazing. He brings a woman full of wisdom wisdom to intervene. And here's what happens, verse 14, all the way down to 19. But one of the servants servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our Lord, but he screamed at them. That's a very mild description of what took place. These men were very good to us. They did not insult us, or, nor, nor we sustained any loss during the, the entire time they were with us. Both n- night and day, they were a protective wall for us, and the entire time we were with them, we were tending our flock. So they could do the work without having to worry about. It. Now, be aware of this and see what you can do, for disaster has been planned for our Lord and his entire household. He is such a wicked person that no one tells him anything. This is, a, this is the perspective of a slave about Nabal. So Abigail quickly took 200 loaves of bread, two containers of wine, and she prepared a bunch of other resources from verses 18 to 19. Abigail actually learns this, this conflict, and her response is extremely impressive. Instead of running away from the problem, because now she knows David is coming back, she actually runs towards the problem. Instead of running away from the problem, she runs towards the problem. And she attempts to convince David to not only not do what he's thinking, but also in not doing what he's thinking, to forgive her own foolish husband. And here's, where, here's what Nabal's servant describes Nabal's attitude. Nabal missed missed David's humility in approaching him. He missed how good David had been to him and to his servants and to his flocks. He, He missed the protection that David provided. He forgot the generosity costs nothing to him, but his foolishness might cost him everything. Let me repeat this to you. Sometimes you and I forget that Generosity costs us nothing, and because of that, our foolishness can cost us everything. And he missed the fact that God was blessing his servants and his sheep and the flocks because God was working through David. And in return, he reviles a man who is about to be, in the future, the king of Israel. Abigail prepares 200 loaves of bread, two containers of wine, five prepared sheep, roasted grains, 100 bunches of raisins, 200 lumps of pressed figs. Now, I need to pause here just for a second to make a side comment. Her provisions here are an indication of how God described Nabal in verse 2 that he is a wealthy man. Those things were available. But she thinks in her mind that she needs to provide to him what Nabal was not able to do it. And so she, come with, she comes up with all those provisions in here. And did you notice that Abigail does not ask Nabal for permit permission to do this? Now, I'm not asking you wives to do things without asking your husbands for permission or talking through things. This is not the point here, okay? When the servant comes back to talk to Abigail, he realized two things. Nabal is a foolish man. Number two, the text says that Nabal is drunk. So Abigail has to intervene. And in her own relationship with God, she has to come up with a solution because if she doesn't, David is gonna come and he's gonna kill every single person in the camp. And ironically, Abigail was preparing for David what Nabal should have provided, but he lacked Abigail's wisdom and humility to do so. Verse 20 to 22, let's look at David's plot to handle Nabal. Riding on her donkey, which is Abigail's, she went down under, her, under cover of the mountain. David and his men were coming down to meet her, and she encountered them. Now David had been thinking, here's what he's thinking. And when I catch myself thinking too much about that, that's a dangerous place to be. Here's what He said, In vain, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness. I didn't take anything from him, but he has repaid my good with evil. God will severely punish David if I leave alive until morning, even one male from all those who belong to him. So when Abigail sees David and his servants, the text says that he was thinking. David's actually overthinking about a situation because the first thing he says is this and if I were to ask you is this true in vain I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness the answer is humanly speaking yes but can God work through things even when things do not work our favor absolutely David is forgetting that, and out of that he's telling himself stories now, and he's beginning to get angry and upset and frustrated about all the situation which he has clouded his judgment, and now he can actually not make decisions that would be glorifying to God. The problem is that David cannot see the consequences of his actions. That innocent life will be lost, all because one man's foolishness and another man's anger. We could say that the foolishness does not justify the anger. But when an angry man is angry, he cannot see the foolishness of another. And my question for you is, how often do you let your, your emotions control your judgment? I was a 14-year-old boy once, yes, that is true, and I worked at a bakery. And uh, I worked for a man who was, who was he, he was a dishonest man, and as a 14-year-old boy, I didn't know things very well at that moment, and one day I went to him because it was payday, and um, he asked me to sign my paycheck, which you have to do by law in Brazil. So I signed my paycheck. So he ripped the first page, gave me the back page, and he says, have a good day. And I said, hey, where's my money? He said, you don't get, you don't get anything this month. So as a 14-year-old man, I, boy, I went home, and I told my mom, and I was, I was disappointed So I worked for the, for the whole month for nothing. So the second month comes around and I get to his office to sign my paycheck again and he has a little bit of cash on top of the paycheck, so I automatically sign the paper and he hands me no money. So two months without pay. So I go home and I spend the weekend at home and then on Monday I come home and I have a notice outside of of the bathroom where you usually go into change before you go to work and there was a notice in there saying that I had been fired and I had been fired without without any rights to my social security which means I had lost not only the two months previous but I had lost everything that the bank had taken away from me. So I went home and I mapped out this plan in my brain that I was going to, as an unbeliever and as the guy who was extremely angry, I was going to come in the middle of the night and I was going to bring rocks with me and I was going to break all the front of his store that was made out of glass. In that plotting, in my anger, God invited a friend of mine to come out of nowhere and asked me to play basketball. So I ended up playing basketball and I went to this basketball club and all of a sudden I couldn't think about breaking the windows anymore I just wanted to play basketball but here's here's why I'm telling you that story anger and frustration can cloud your judgment so bad that you cannot even see the consequence of that I most likely I would have gone to jail and most likely I would not play basketball and God ended up using basketball to bring me to the States to learn the Bible so now I can actually be here as your pastor we don't think about the consequence of those things and right now David is in a moment in his life listen to this he is a wise man yes he's a man after God's own heart but he cannot see because his anger has dominated his life and so Abigail approaches him and she appeals to him verses 23 to 31 when Abigail saw David she got down quickly from her from the donkey She threw herself face down. Now listen to her and compare her actions to her husband. She threw herself face down before David and bowed down to the ground. Falling at at his feet, she said, My Lord, I accept all the guilt, but please let your female servant speak to you. Please listen to the words of your servant. My Lord, should I, should not should not pay attention to this wicked man, Nabal. He simply lives up to his name. His name means fool, and he is indeed a foolish man. But I, your servant, did not see the servant, my Lord, sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as surely as you live, it is the Lord who has kept you from shedding blood and taking matters into your own hands. Now, may your enemies and those who seek to harm my Lord be like Nabal. Now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to, my ser- to your servants who follow my Lord. Please forgive the sin of your servant, for the Lord will certainly establish a, 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 an everlasting dynasty for my Lord, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. Did you notice what she's doing? She, she's directing his attention to something outside of himself. Verse 30, The Lord will do for my Lord... Everything that he has promised to you, and he will make you a leader over Israel. He's she's reminding him listen, David, if you do this, it's gonna it's gonna damage the name that God wants established in you as a dynasty that's gonna live forever. Your conscience will not be overwhelmed with the guilt for having poured out innocent blood and for having taken matters into your own hands. When the Lord has granted my Lord success, please remember your servant. Here's where you see wisdom being applied. She, she's, she's talking about practical things here. When I was dating my wife, I, I, I was introducing her to my friends, and a friend of mine one time said, she So describe Mandy to me. And I said, one of the things I said, she's, she's very intelligent. She's, she's very wise. And he said to me, like, is she, is she book-wise or, or street-wise? And I said, She's both. And Abigail is both, she's got the wisdom inside of her, and now she's acting upon that foundation. And that's why we talk so much to you. You can't apply what you don't know. That's why the Word of God needs to be our foundation, because it is through the Word of God that we can apply the Word of God in order to live the Word of God. And Abigail is reminding David just those things. David, you need to remember the Lord's doing something amazing here. If you do this, it's going to damage your kingdom. And she actually requests four things of him. He says, verse 25, she says, do not pay attention to my foolish husband. Request number one. Request number two, verse 26, he says, I'm gonna gonna offer you a praise. This This is my request, that the Lord will bless you. Verse 27, she says, she asked David to accept the gifts. Her request is, please accept the gift. And in verses 28-31, through 31, she says, she asked David to accept her forgiveness. So Abigail here, she can teach us how to be wise and at the same time show humility. She asked David for permission to speak. She calls herself a servant four times in this short little passage. She appeals to David for a different outcome. She presents David with supplies. She calms him down with her words, and then she reaffirms God's promises to him. She reminds David of the Lord's, the Lord's promise. And then, here's what she does. She focuses on the future consequences of his possible present actions if he took and took matters into his own hands. Her words encourage David, listen church, to look up instead of to look down at Nabal. She did not attempt to argue with him, she only pointed him to the right direction. I would call that trust. Because it is a lot easier for me as a man to try to take matters into my own hands and to try to fix a situation than sometimes to say, I'm gonna point you in the right direction and I'm gonna let the Lord direct you there. Now ladies, you wanna be a Proverbs, 31 woman, 1 Samuel 25. Put the wisdom of God in action for the glory of God. Man, do you wanna be a wise leader? Do not act foolish like Nabal and do not let your emotions control your direction like David. Here's the response of a future king. And now you tell me how the situation has changed. Verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel who has sent you this day to meet me. Praise be your good judgment. May your May you yourself be rewarded for having prevented me this day from shedding blood and taking matters into my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord lives, he who has prevented me from harming you, if you had not come so quickly to meet me, by morning's light, not even one male belonging to Nabal would have remained alive. Then David took from her hand what she had brought to him, he said to her, go to your home in peace. Be assured that I have listened to you and I have responded to you favorably. Now here's what's amazing about David's response. He praises God, the God of Israel, for bringing Abigail into his own life. A man who was ready to share, listen to this church, a man who was ready to share innocent blood is changed by how a wise woman presents godly information to him and points him in the right direction. Number two, David praises God for her judgment. Number three, he wishes her to be rewarded for her actions. Not only he loved what she did, but her, his love for her actions caused him to say, I want you to be blessed. Number, th- number four, he humbly accepts from Abigail's hands what she humbly brought to him. And number five, by doing so, David is actually recognizing God's blessing from preventing him to doing something sinful. Now, one man's loss becomes another man's gain. And this is where we see in verses 36 through 38, which says, when Abigail went back to Nabal, he was holding a banquet in his house, like the one of a king, not like the one of a king because he is a king, is like the one of a king because he wanted to be like one. Nabal was having a good time and he was very intoxicated. She told him absolutely nothing until morning's light. In the morning when when Nabal was sober, his wife told him about these matters. He had a stroke and was paralyzed. After 10 days, the Lord struck Nabal down and he died. Now imagine the situation. She comes to him. He's drunk, she waits, he gets up in the morning, she gets up in the morning, she tells him the situation, and he has, he's struck down by God, and 10 days later, she's a widow, having to clean up the mass of a fool man, a foolish man. And here's a reminder for you, because I don't know what kind of situation you're going through in your life, you need to remember this, God's judgment, divine judgment will be brought to those who reject God's plan in treating his chosen servants with disdain and hostility. It is not up to you." And then this text ends with what I call the marriage between Abigail and David. Let me read this to you. When David heard that Nabal had died, he said, "'Praise be the Lord who has vindicated me.'" Remember chapter 24? that the Lord has vindicated David by protecting him against Saul. Now he's recognizing what Abigail tried to make it so clear to him that the Lord is the one that's going to do this. The Lord has vindicated me and avenged the insult, insult that I have suffered from Nabal. The Lord has kept his servants from doing evil, and he has repaid Nabal from his evil dealings. Then David sent a word to Abigail and asked her for, to become his wife. So the servants of David went to Abigail at Carmel and said to her, David has sent us to bring you back to be his wife. She arose, bowed her face towards the ground, which is once again an indication she's not just doing that because David was angry. She's doing that because it's a lifestyle. And she said, your female servant, like a lowly servant, will wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Then Abigail quickly went and mounted on her donkey and took all her maids with her but here's what you need to understand there's a lesson to be learned i think that regardless of the situation we find ourselves in god is the one able to handle the tough issues of our lives and i'm going to repeat myself again he is able david remembers abigail's request from verse 31 when she says remember me david and he does and when david arrived her reaction once again was humility humility was nothing less than a lifestyle for her so the path of wisdom here in this passage, how it ends, it kinda it's a little confusing because now David is gonna marry Abigail, he's gonna marry another woman called Um Ahinoan, and at the same time his wife Michael is gonna be taken away from him and given to another man by the man named Saul. So here's what I want you to know. The path of wisdom and folly here is a continuous struggle for David. It's not just like he's a wise man and everything is okay. No, it's going to be a struggle for him. And this account here actually reveals a certain vulnerability to being swayed by a feminine beauty. Not only by the wisdom and godly insight of Abigail, but by her beauty. And David certainly goes against what God has instituted here for for the institution of marriage, because it's the marriage between one husband and one wife. Now... Perhaps the reason, and just, just hang with me for a second, perhaps the reason David's household would be so problematic in the future is absolutely because of the decisions that he's making now, because his household was never peaceful, and it is never really truly blessed. It will be David's family's troubles that would actually cause him the greatest headaches in life, and perhaps following God's word and God's advice about marriage would have solved some of those headaches. So here's what I want you to know. Every servant of God should embrace the wise advice God provides. Number 1. Number 2, when conflict arise, you must be wise and you must trust the Lord. Number 3, when you deal with one conflict, when you deal with conflict, you must do one conflict at a time and you must handle them separately. You must refrain yourself from anything hasty or even act with impatient, impatience. And then lastly, the Lord's the one who brings vindication just like 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 25. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for saving us. We thank you that we can learn about David's Anger and Abal's foolishness and Abigail's wisdom, but above everything else I praise you because you have pointed us to yourself. You are the one who vindicate us. You are the one who protect us and you are the one who provide us. So, Father, I pray as we leave here today that we would listen to the voice of wisdom, that we would listen to your voice, and that would we would set every other voice aside for your honor and glory.